0: Welcome to the Resilience Podcast. I'm Kobe Greer. In response to listeners feedback, we'll be speaking about intimate couple relationships today. And it's with pleasure that I welcome back Sally Neville. Sally is an experienced clinical supervisor, trainer and presenter and has a therapeutic career spanning three decades, inclusive of roles clinical and managerial across the mental health and relational sector. So welcome, Sally. Good morning, Kobe. Thank yeah. you for having me back. Oh, fabulous. Um, this is a really um, important subject, particularly in this uh, realm of technology-based communications. And so... Um, just to kind of kickstart this off, Sally, um, what do you think? Um, is a strength based relationship in today's world?
1: Yes, Kobe, that um, is really getting to the crux of it, which mm. is excellent. I think we need to start um with um a very strong underpinning that a strength-based relationship is one that is derived from strong commitment um, and, and a high level of trust. Um, that relationship has um, what, we, what we call a couple boundary. Mm. And so to explain that a little bit more, um, as you mentioned We've got a lot of high input in our lives today, so much access to social media. Um, We spend a lot of time using technology, interacting with technology. Um, And there's strong evidence that a lot of people now are relying on technology to manage and deal with their loneliness and so on. That's true. So when you do form an intimate relationship with another and you decide that you're going to be exclusive to that person, then um, it forms a boundary. It's not, not something you can necessarily see, but in a way you can see it, because if you see a couple that are into each other and that they're committed to each other, you'll see that evidenced by their body language, um, the way they can sort of interact, um, their humour, Um, knowing what the other person's saying without the full explanation, um, eye contact, touch and so on. Mm. Um, And that comes with that sense of I am for you, you are for me, we are together at the exclusion of all others. Now, in today's world where people can pick up a phone and have access to the whole world and have access to other people and so on, it does require almost like a an added level of uh, attention to trust and and shoring up that couple relationship uh, and, and keeping that boundary strong for the couple because that's where the benefits lie. In a committed relationship where the couple can settle in to knowing, not so much taking it for granted, but being able to deeply trust that the other person, through the challenges, um, has their back, is there for them. And what they say is what they mean. Mm. Yeah, excellent.
0: Because what would you say would be the, let's say, six key aspects of a secure relationship, you know, within this boundary that you speak of? What would be the, s- the six key aspects, you think?
1: Well, again, I re- reiterate the one I just said, yeah. trust and commitment. But then we also have to add into that respect. Um, and it's it's actually very important to have some mutual interests. That becomes very important over time in a relationship. It's very sustaining to have some things which are fundamentally of interest that the couple share. Another very important uh, aspect of, of a couple relationship that you know, shores up, it makes it resilient, more strength-based in a sense, is, um, you know, being affectionate, being loving, um, uh, showing the the other person that they uh, are um, special, that they are appreciated. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly, another very important one, too, is sufficient independence in the relationship too. Because a couple relationship relationships shouldn't be something that closes someone down or closes their options off. And another thing that I, I, I will say now at the sort of beginning of our talk, which is very important too, is um, fairness, equality, equity. Mm. So I just would like to say with view to that, that this talk today, I'm, I'm, speaking more about the vast majority I'm not talking about relationships where there is any kind of exploitation or abuse mm-hmm. um, that that would need to actually be handled in a different topic mm-hmm. I will say of course that access well-being services and care have services that can support people if there are concerns around those issues And the other thing I'd like to add too is that Centre Care and Access Wellbeing Services takes a very inclusive approach to relationships. So as I'm speaking today, I'm extending out to be inclusive of all cultures, LGBIQ. um, Our organisation absolutely supports diversity. And we like to have a very inclusive, diverse staff so that we can service all sectors of society. Brilliant. Brilliant. I thank you for that.
0: Um, So when we look at a relationship, what would be a resilient approach? And I'm sure some of those aspects that you've just spoken about um, would be part of that approach. But being the Resilience Podcast, um, what would be... Yeah, a resilient approach to it to a relationship to for viewers, listeners to consider.
1: Well, a re- primarily a re- resilient approach um, is certainly one Kobe that um, looks at a relationship, uh, a committed relationship, mm. as something that is very precious and is of great value, and therefore a person in that relationship makes it a priority now it can actually be quite challenging in ways it can also be joyful and uh, very affirming but it can be challenging uh, in a relationship and and it can force growth on on the couple so now i'm referencing the you know research that's done by Dr. David Snarsh, who's one of the world's leading relational experts. He's you know written um, the Sexual Crucible and a Passionate Marriage, both very worthwhile reading, and is referencing the fact that all of us come out of a childhood, we come out of a family of origins situation. And usually we come out of that situation, with some parts of ourselves where we're, we're still yearning to have that healed or filled in some way. Perhaps as a child um, we, we felt that we were over-controlled or maybe we were yearning for a little bit more love and affection. Um, maybe we had too many changes, lots of different schools and we've got this sense of not quite belonging um, you know, most of us, life is fairly complex and we do bring our, our baggage and we bring our issues from childhood into our relationships and we often just go ahead and recreate them with our partner without really knowing. And Snash talks about the sexual crucible, in other words, the relational crucible that brings people together in this very intense, intimate way where they're seeking deep love and affirmation from the other, Mm. but somehow they kind of have to resolve that within themselves. And what makes a resilient relationship is that there's sufficient connection, um, commitment to this other person to be with them whilst they work through the playing out of those issues. But it really is ultimately up to the person to resolve those things themselves and not expect the partner to do it for them. So you do need, in a sense, to evolve to a level of maturity where you can't look to your partner to solve everything for you.
0: I understand. Yeah, Yeah? yeah. that is that is such a crucial part, because even though we're talking about couple intimate relationships, there is still the element where. We stand alone. So we are singular and it is our responsibility to um, manage and take responsibility for these, you know, childhood experiences that, you know, impact to our um, adult personality and our adult lives. Um, so there is that element where we have to personally take responsibility and not have our gap or emptiness filled by our partner. And then there is then you know that that other part where we are a couple we are together and um, we do have a you know sharing those experiences with common interests as you say so, yeah yeah I, yeah that that's that's what I'm hearing is that right, um, Sally?
1: Oh you know so well said and I, I appreciate that that very complement uh, sort of complimentary underpinning, of what. I've just shared because, you know, it sort of almost takes me to the next point, which is about resilience over time, Kobe, because, you know, when people enter into that committed relationship, they're, they're generally, you know, they're not thinking about a year or, you know, they're, they're thinking about long term and some people are thinking about lifetime. Um, and You know, I'm not here to say there's one way of doing a relationship. All relationships have value uh, if we're learning and growing from them. Um, And that if a relationship has had its journey, um, then, you know, and this is a subject of another talk, I suppose, it's a way of of ending and leaving a relationship um, that's resilient and healthy. However, I'm talking about the stages of relationship now. Now, of course, it's, it's very complex, so I'm just going to give an overview. And we talk about the first stage, the coming together. I guess we could call it the honeymoon period. But today we're going to call it you and I are one. Now, that's the stage, very heady, gorgeous stage and very valuable too. In, um, you know, the early appreciation of the other, um, and maybe crushing a bit on the other, and then maybe as it's all working out, getting to the point where you feel you love that other person. Now, a lot of that is necessarily fueled by our hormones, you know, those feel-good hormones, the oxytocins and so on <laughs> that kick in, and we really are on a high Um, You know, and to feel very much in love and so engaged with the other person, long conversations into the night, every little touch just feels so tingly, you know, and it is gorgeous. Um, And it's an important building block in a relationship. But because it is so driven by physiological forces, as well as social, emotion, sexual forces, you know, it's going to change over time. And it, it has a, a cycle of its own. Um, and with time, that, that sort of early fixation in a way, almost being in love with love, um, begins to drop away. And then the couple move into the next phase. Now, the task in a way for the first phase is to enjoy all that connectivity and passion and enjoy it. But understand and be mature that it is going to gradually pass, the intensity of it, and still stay together, still keep the couple boundaries strong. So we then move into the next stage, which is, you're not the same as me. That's true. And this is the stage where, because of that sort of chemical high has died away, we now have the opportunity to see the person more in terms of who they are rather than through the, the, the foggy gaze of the honeymoon period. Very important stage because we have to get really deeply to know the person that we're with. And also we have to be realistic about that. So this is where we need to be resilient again. True. Mm. In, in actually learning to engage with and also appreciate the person in terms of who they are and not expect the world from them. And this is also where we require a a level of couple boundary and taking it forward in commitment. The task for this stage, Kobe, is for the couple to learn to manage differences and conflict in a way that doesn't damage the relationship. So it's about a deeper understanding of each other. A- and yes, evolving, yes, yeah. and evolving a way to manage those differences. Yeah. That And this kicks me back to the points I made in the beginning, that continues to be respectful to that other person. Mm-hmm. So the conflict doesn't result in sort of demeaning dialogues or, you know, angry outbursts. I mean, we're all people. We have emotions. And even if we do sort of suddenly spark into something that's a bit unkind, we can go back and we can say, I'm sorry, I was, you know, I I went somewhere where I shouldn't have gone. It wasn't about you. Mm -hmm. So that's where communication skills need to really kick in. And, And that's probably one of the big six that I failed to mention before, but definitely communication skills. And then we begin to move into a different phase of the relationship some people couples do other pe- couples don't um, what i'm saying is not a, a template for all but some couples will move into a more independent stage then um it's a perhaps late a bit later on in life they actually may have a personal drive to achieve something for themselves or maybe they're not so looking at the relationship anymore to be the centre of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next stage, that, the, where the couple might be moving off independently, uh, is for them, again, to keep their commitment and their couple boundaries strong enough that they don't lose touch with each other. The tricky part is when they're both doing that together... Um, you know, really striving to for self-expression and independence? Mm-hmm. Is there enough in the relationship that will keep them there, you know, solid with each other? Mm-hmm. Um, generally, that doesn't happen. Generally, you know, one person might feel as if their job's no longer satisfying, perhaps they need, want retraining or something like that, and the couple have to negotiate that mm-hmm. in a way that nobody is disadvantaged, but they you know, that there's enough flexibility in that relationship. And this is the task for that stage. The task for that stage is to negotiate through things, to keep the bond and keep the mutual support whilst people are growing independently. And it it comes... And the reason I'm saying it's worth holding on for that is because the last stage of all, the interdependence stage can actually often be the time of life that brings the greatest contentment, the greatest sense of togetherness with partner Mm. and the greatest sense of, you know, resolution of having done things in life that are really important. Because in the interdependent stage, that's where the couple have kind of worked out the things that are challenging between them. And they're no longer kind of clanging through that endlessly. They've worked out the things that will always be different for them and they just have to accept. And may I just say at that point, there's usually about three or four issues in any couple relationship that the couple are never going to fully resolve. It's just about, you know, realizing that they're there and working around them. Agreeing to disagree. Agreeing, yes, Kobe. Mm. Uh huh. But this last stage of life can sometimes bring um, the most um, transcendent and passionate sexual connection. Uh, it can sometimes bring a deep, deep sense of secu- security that you you just know the other person's got your back. You're not always working for it; it's just there as a given which is very freeing to go off and explore who you are, in a sense. Um, And we can always do that alone, and that's extremely valid. Again, I stress my point is not putting one thing over another. Mm. I'm just highlighting, because we're talking about intimate couple relationships, Mm. that those relationships that weather the storm but have a lot of connection along the way and manage to resolve those developmental issues... The rewards can be insurmountable in life.
0: What I really like, what I'm hearing um, with these three stages of relationship, is um, there's still a focus on our individual choices and our individual lifestyle, and so it's like we yes. have our yeah we, we have our own life as a as an individual, um, but we also have a life together. And um, in the in the intimate couple relationship, and um, so yeah, and and sometimes in these three stages, um, our priorities change by the sounds of it, and also the quality, the quality of the relationship would shift as well. But also, the love is different at each stage as well.
1: You know, and Kobe, um, what I found in a way, as being a social scientist over the decades of my work. And, you know, it, it, it is um, a very humbling and privileged opportunity uh, to, you know, be able to share with people where they're sharing their intimate lives with you. Um, and you begin to see certain themes, in a sense, emerging um, that are often, in a way, supported by the research. And what amazes me is how you might get very v- distinct, um, you know, research topics or projects or investigations, but you see them coming back and overlapping. And so I'd like to now reference, we've just talked about, you know, the developmental stages of relationships. Now I'd like to reference the types of relationships. And again, I stress, this is a model, it's an overarching summary, but it has it has some merit. Because again, we come out of our childhoods, we come out of our family of origin experiences with different degrees of personal security and self-worth, you know, inner security. And if we've had good enough parents who've given us sufficient love and supported us so that we've developed our own confidence and sense of personal resiliency, great. We're well equipped to go into a secure couple relationship and play that dynamic out. Um, But, you know, that's not how it all works in life. So... In the four types of relationships now I'm going to reference, uh, the first one I'm going to reference is someone that's had such a traumatic, difficult childhood that through no fault of their own, they haven't actually been equipped with relational skills. So they're not really able for any period of time to be comfortable enough within themselves to bond with another person. Or if there's been perhaps a time of joining, it hasn't lasted very long. You know, and that's quite sad. And perhaps there's mental health complexity there as well, which again is, is not the general topic for today. Then we look at the next stage of relationship, which technically we call symbiotic. But simply what that means is where someone's self-worth uh, is so sadly underdeveloped that they're really looking to the other person to provide it for them and they merge with another person, really, really seeking that that person in a way is going to rescue them from themselves and give them a huge amount of love and and affirmation and support and, you know, be their world. So they over-merge. It's almost like their selfhood is a bit missing in that
0: it's an enmeshment it's um, an enmeshment
1: relationship yeah exactly Kobe, and it kind of works during that first developmental stage where the heady days of romance and being in love with love but when you move into the stage of getting to know who who the partner really is and so on there's usually not a re- enough resilience in that relationship. So they often have bust-ups. They can have arguments and maybe there's make-up and there might be make-up sex. And it's often it's on and it's often it's on and it's quite volatile, emotionally draining, you know? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. Um, and so what we encourage in counselling um, is to help that couple move to the next stage which we call practicing, practicing in a way being yourself, interestingly, which is going back to what you just said around a a true intimate couple relationship depends almost on the relationship you have with yourself before having a relationship with the other. So in the practicing stage, the couple are still very needy for the affirmation for the other. But they're getting better, in a sense, at self-care and shoring themselves up and not hanging on every word from the other person being able to kind of stand in their own self-worth and this is where you can start to gain a maturity and a bit of forgiveness and a little bit of um what's the right word for it grace in terms of allowing the other person to sometimes um, not be in a great place or sometimes say something in a way which is a little bit irritating or aggravated or or lose the plot occasionally and, and not completely have your whole being dashed to the ground because the other person isn't making you the full centre point of attention. This is practising. Mm-hmm. And then the last stage of all, which is quite a technical word differentiated but it's not really technical because differ differentiate difference what it means is being able to stay in relationship whilst managing your differences and doesn't that pull for all the way back to that last stage of relationship which is the interdependent stage where you're comfortable in your own skin you know who you are you don't have to fall apart at the comments of others, yeah, but you can still also appreciate, you can still also want to have a team, um, you can still also be available to have somebody else's back. And when you reach that differentiated stage, which often comes through the interdependent stage, my goodness me, that's where you can really, and Snash talks about this in the sexual crucible, that's where you can really experience some deep intimacy.
0: What you've just explained to me um, and to the listeners, Sally, is that it sounds like a spiritual awakening in some in some form, in some sense. And whatever spirituality means to listeners is very personalised. But it does seem as though there's um, not only that connection with Mm. self, but connection with somebody else who, as you say, who you know intimately. But also there's another external connection to whether... There's something purposeful there too. The greater that... than the greater Absolutely. Than.
1: The coming out of the self. Yes. Engaging with experience of life. Yeah. In a very deep, meaningful way and sharing it in a way that is spiritual. You know, I, I, I s- s- sort of in a way it's it's quite moving to sit here with you and you know, to, to physically see how you're moved by that. And in no way, you know, am I suggesting anything utopian. Um, We're not, you know, we're very inclusive of all religions here. We're speaking about a phenomenon which is shown in philosophical discourse and research to be the human condition in that we, in a way, want to resolve and evolve out of our state of loneliness and pain and disconnection. And it is through deep intimacy and connection that the spirit is fed. Um, so you know, I, I it's I I'm fine with it being called a spiritual process. But I, I I'm really stressing. I'm not being elitist about this. In that, people can achieve this in many different forms and many different walks of life. But it has been shown that a couple relationship where there is enough maintenance of the couple boundary, commitment to the other, and, you know, hanging, hanging together through the difficult stages, it's actually in that difficulty, interestingly, that we grow and that we evolve. Um, and all of us have the capacity to find parts of ourselves that are treasures, that help us to grow out of the traumas and the pains and the difficulties and the loneliness of the past, and more fully into ourselves. And interestingly, we can do that very fully, actually within a committed relationship, exactly. One last point I, I might like to reference as well, and perhaps I might bring in the studies that were done by a, a Dr. Patricia Love, and yes, um, how <laughs> the <fits name>. <laughs> her surname really is Love. Um, This doctor actually um, was really curious about um, the gender differences, actually. What was there any difference here? Um, And she did a a huge meta-analysis, looking at hundreds of studies across the world around how men and women relate. And she gathered this together and what she postulates and brings forward after this huge analysis is just just some very fundamental differences. Um, And so to summarise them, she postulates that an emotion for uh, um, someone who identifies primarily uh, to the male gender um, is the emotion of shame. That that emotion for someone that identifies to the male gender, is actually extremely painful and uncomfortable. But for someone who primarily identifies to the female gender, the emotion that is painful, hurtful, scary, fearful, fear-inducing, is abandonment. And what she postulates is that, you know, if we look at our rudimentary survival mechanisms, Kobe, you know the the thing we use if we're genuinely under threat the flight fight and freeze mechanism, yeah. which is driven by the amygdala part of the brain. Some people call it the pri- primitive brain because it doesn't have higher functionings. It's not it's not cerebral. It doesn't think. It doesn't process. It Something doesn't know the reasons for things. It just reacts to danger. Mm-hmm. Um, So if we go back to hunter-and-gatherer societies, what the research has shown is that females in those societies were primarily child carers and gatherers and that in order to avoid threat, it was best to stay together in groups, similar to how a fish will stay in a school because it gets protection there. It's one of many. You know, and so the women they say spend a lot of time keeping that group alive, doing a lot of the um, kin tasks, kinship tasks, speaking together, connecting together. You know, looking after each other's children and so on. Now, this is a very limited discourse. There's there's different cultures across the world that do things differently. This is just an overarching look at this. Whereas oftentimes in those early days, you know, the men were the hunters. Um, They would um, hunt in packs, certainly. But there were times when they were there alone having to literally survive, you know, uh, up against that threat. And um, they'd have to survive that. And oftentimes as well, the survival of the clan was on the back of how they could protect and provide. And the research suggests that many of those mechanisms are still operating within us. So let's fast forward to today, where you have a couple and the the male is strongly driven to avoid shame. He's hardwired to protecting, providing and so on. Mm. The woman is strongly driven to maintain connection and a sense of emotional warmth. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. Um, They're at the stage of their relationship. Children have been introduced. They've got a mortgage. They're trying to pay off the fridge. The car's going dicky, you know. Pressure, pressure, pressure. And he's doing more hours at work. Worrying about all these bills. I know this is very stereotypical, but I'm talking about common relationships out there. Um, and come home, really spent, perhaps he's a salesman, used up all of his words for the day. Um, and the woman is eager and in need. She's been in pain. She's been yearning for connection yeah. and wants to bond with him and have that, emotional affirmation and feel close uh and he's just doesn't seem that available and what a woman would will do when she is fearful of abandonment is often complain you,
0: you yeah i think this resonates would probably resonate most, with a lot of listeners of us, yes. yeah yeah
1: and that's what we do as, as women. We, we try to talk it through and we, we're often, but, you know, can't we, you know, and I need and what about and yes, you promised. Yes, uh,
0: yes. Um,
1: and it might, you know, come across as really kind of you know, attacking of him at, at his core. Mm. And Gottman finds this as well where he's actually done videotapes of couples hours and hours and hours in their home environment. And Gottman talks about the damage that can be done to a relationship with contempt, criticism, stonewalling, which is to block it, walk away, try and get out of the situation, not show interest, and denial. And so often, you know, we we do kick into those things when you've got a woman feeling abandoned and a man feeling shamed.
0: And it's interesting, it all comes from a place of insecurity.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly, Kobe. Mm. And then, if we think of the stages of relationship, when that honeymoon period wears off, the you and I are one has taken its course and they're working out who they are. Plus, they've often got all these added pressures, you know, parenting, mortgage, you know, study, and so on and so forth. Mm navigating that is really challenging
0: it will it is
1: yeah absolutely but it's amazing in counseling where you work with a couple and you actually show them how to stand still and what i mean by that is you know not engulfing each other and not withdrawing too much you know learning how to listen and attend in a gracious enough way um being differentiated enough, we come back to that. Mm, uh-huh. Yes, yes. To to be able to hold on to your own security in the face of the other person's criticism. <clears throat> Pardon me. And deeply listen to the point where you can start to understand where they're coming from without actually just interpreting it as as an attack and just going into denial about it or twisting it around and blaming it on the other person. But attending enough to show some interest. And it's amazing how just that very process will start to resolve things because the couple start to again feel that tenderness for one another. And this is the resilience factor. This is this is sort of penultimate point of this talk. In that if we develop enough commitment and enough willingness to sit with the other person in the face of their differences and in the face of their upsets and their complaints yeah. and still attend enough and be secure enough within ourselves to show them that we're interested and we really want to know, yeah. not in terms of what they're supposed to do for us, yeah. but how we can walk alongside them. That's when the couple gets creative. That's when they get innovative and that's where they support each other in a way that they can still be individuals, but they can stay together as a couple. And this is what I suppose we would be calling a resilient union. Exactly, Kobe. And we all have capacity to be able to do that.
0: Sally, what this conversation that you and I have shared today has shown me, the richness of relationships, The challenges that relationship brings, um, the growth that relationships bring and how I know not all relationships work, but how important is to hang in there and um, be yourself. But also, and I think what's of great value that you mentioned is about showing interest of the other person and being truly with that other person in not only their personal journey, but in the journey of the couple, to, the coupledom as well. So, thank you so so much for being here today. Um, yeah. Thank you, thank you, you so much, pleasure. Sally.
1: Thank you.